We're looking for two oil boys who can grease us up before each competition. You do the thing you're scared shitless of, and you get the courage after you do it. That's the way it works. That's the dumbass way to work. It should be the other way around. You'll have to excuse my friend. The town is back that way. You should make a radical change in your lifestyle. I mean, the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences. That's the way it works. Don't worry, we'll catch our break too. Just gotta keep our eyes open. A yodelele who? Welcome to Look Like Looks Like We're Lost, episode probably thirty-two. It's thirty-two. Who's keeping track? Shaq I'm Diesel, Dustin thirty-two. Redazel. Oh yeah, and you know Dustin Redazel in high school. Five H amps. <laughs> you you might not have that. You might <laughs> not have that card in your collection. Yeah, yeah. I'm one half of the Lost Boys, Dustin Redazel, and joining me, he doesn't believe everything he thinks. It's Tommy Cooksey. Love it. Thank you. Shout out. That was da- uh, that was Tim Ferriss, wasn't it? That it's was probably like it was the, probably some the, Buddhist. Yeah. Tim Ferriss on uh, the Brene Brown Unlocking Us podcast alongside Dax Shepard. You pushed it out as one of the best five podcasts you've listened to this year, and you weren't wrong. It was yeah. fantastic. It's one of the few, and let's just go ahead and say that I'll probably recommend it back on the back end of this podcast or maybe we'll do it maybe we'll just lead off with that um but yeah let's do it much to say about it it. talk about it we're already in it the first thing i'd like to say let me just take a quick hard right turn here and we spent a lot of time last week diving into uh the commercialized space race and what is wealth and rich and wealth and all these things and i only have as of this recording today jeff Bezos, Bezos, also manned a spacecraft into outer space. I have two takes on this. I watched, I watched this one playback, and you're gonna be—it's gonna be hard for you to convince me that this isn't just a really rich person's hot air balloon ride. Mm. They just go up, they stop, and then they just come back down. They don't spend really any substantial time up there. They just go up. They come back down. The second thing is I saw a picture on social media of Bezos and his flight crew. They're all mm-hmm. mostly all civilians, I think. And as a man who knows fashion, men's fashion to be exact, uh, I am. It is painful how much I'm annoyed at this. I haven't been able to let it go all day. The man is wearing. Cowboy boots, not space boots, not like some Nike rugged eyes. He's wearing cowboy boots. And Can it, you tell me what a space boot should look like? Come on. We, we, we've all seen Neil Armstrong in outer space. Like, oh, I'm with you. Some sort of combat looking bigger. But yeah, but the something cow- with like a pressurized seal. Something in the cuff. Something yeah. like but so, so these, these cowboy boots. All I could think of, the, the, the cowboy boots to outer space is the equivalent of that dude that walks across a college campus in the Midwest in January in some cargo shorts and flip-flops. Trying too hard to make a statement that you don't give a damn. Hmm. So, anyway, those are my two quips. Uh, I'm nothing looking about, at it now. 
It's definitely cowboy yeah. boots. Yeah, it's and and the cowboy hat. That's pretty interesting. Wonder what he's going for here. <laughs> so, time will tell. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's maybe you know, that's what a maybe that's what a second place finisher does. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's trying to uh, rummage up some imagery of the frontier and like, yeah, yeah getting okay. out there to tame the new space. He's doing something. There's some real, real American frontiership happening there. I, yeah, I don't like it either. It's not. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> it's a bad look all around. It's basically like, you know, I, I work with a lot of uh, uh, people from Europe, and they're especially the people that are a little bit like you know that that grew up in like the 70s, mm-hmm. before we just had the you know you could the the world was so small the world was much bigger or seemed that way back then and this this german guy said my opinion of america was either miami vice or um oh what's the uh general lee dukes of hazard he's like that was my opinion he just he's like i assumed when i landed in new york city everybody would be wearing a uh cowboy hat and he's like i was very mistaken when i landed (laughs) but here's bezos you know 40 50 years later just, just holding it. that stereotype hard. So anyway, I I wanted to make a hard right turn and and just you know echo my frustration with that. Back I to the recommendations. Yeah. This is actually a recommendation from my brother, who knows HVAC and apparently he knows podcasts. Um, yeah. The, I, which, I which one do you trust him on more? Um. He's two for two on recommended podcasts, but he's also undefeated wow. on fixing my HVAC. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. He's he's got a good average right now Man. on both. He's you know he's like a, a um, thousand. yeah he's like a, a and I'll mispronounce it a Shohei Atani. like he does it from both sides of the plate. Yep. But what uh Otani <clears throat> just just living it. Just, I don't want to get sidetracked on that, but that is an amazing guy. Amazing athlete. Did you see the video of him beating out a ground ball to first base? I did not. Beat out a ground ball to first base. Like, absolute shot out of a cannon out of the, out of the batter's box and beat out a choppy ground ball. It wasn't like a little dribbler. It was a shot. Do you think I, if I you went that. to high school with Otani that you would have liked him or you'd have been like, uh, F this guy. He's good at everything. <laughs> I... Uh, so actually I, I did play high school ball with a guy that ended up playing a few games in the major leagues. Ooh, a cup of coffee. Yep. Yep. And his cup of coffee, his open, his, his first start shout out Daryl Thompson. His first start was at the old Yankee stadium and him. And I think it was Joey Bruce. If I'm remembering correctly, they got on the wrong train to the, they were supposed to go to the Bronx. They got on the train to Brooklyn and he was like late to his start, but yeah, he had a cup of coffee in the bigs. And he, you, when you play, you know, high school ball with a guy that can mash home runs, almost any at bat, can pretty much stand at the outfield fence and just hit the catcher with it, and throws like ninety three, ninety four, and's got a curve that starts at with your movement. face, starts yeah. at your face, ends at your ankles, um, you know, when when I would when if I would hit against him in batting practice, I'm like. Diving out of the box, swinging as hard as I can, and crapping myself all at one time is really a sight to be seen. I, that's why I yeah. bunted most of the time. 
that's a humbling experience. And and you'll appreciate this because, as you know, I have a very small adult head. Really, the it's really the smallest, incredibly tiny. It's the smallest adult size you can have. Six and seven eighths for those keep doing the math at home. That's the smallest. The next down is six and three fourths, and that is children's size. Yeah, uh, it's amazing you don't have like a little sprouting pair of giraffe horns. I know, right? <laughs> well, I guess I'm balding, so you know maybe they're making room for it. But so me, yeah, so me out. and this, me and this guy, like our baseball team didn't have a lot of funding, I guess, as I think back on this. And, uh, so they only ordered so many sizes of each fitted hat and they only ordered one extra small. Well, so, you know, I couldn't look cool kind of wearing my hat kind of jacked, you know, every which way. So I wore the extra small for the most part. Unless Daryl was pitching, and then he would wear my extra small hat to pitch. Did he also have like? Did he need? He the had a small? Pe- he had a peanut head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. The dude had hands that could probably wrap around the basketball, but yeah, he had a tiny little dome. Well, it's good to know that uh, your uh, what could be considered a genetic deficiency obviously <laughs> is not. <laughs> yeah, I could. I can't throw a baseball ninety-five miles an hour though. So, well, you know. You can't have it all. Yeah, you know. <laughs> later, later in life, uh, you know, my, my, my good deeds were paid. Like, so there, there's actually a picture of us when we, uh, won, or we won our conference. And my friend Josh is like, looks like he was shot out of a cannon. Like, he's jumping up. He's got one of those thick necks. Like, he's just skyrocketing. Another guy's doing a nice fist pump. And I have Daryl's hat on, like, cocked sideways because it was so big that it looked like a bucket <laughs> on my head. And I'm just, like, clapping like... <laughs> Like, I look like the guy that was keeping the score, not the guy that was, you know, playing ball. So yeah, you were on the team. Yeah. What? Uh, what? How fast do you think you could throw a baseball today? Think you get it over sixty? Post surgery? I don't know. No, I, I I think I could probably hit in the seventies, low seventies. If I I'd am have I no chance. Can I crow hop, or do I have to do it off of a mound? Sure. No, if I'll I can. Let you, uh... I'll let you happy Gilmore it. Yeah, if I get a crow hop, I'm I'm hitting in the seventies. I think. Impressive. I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. I got no faith in my arm. Well, I, I like we, I can yeah. almost feel it tearing out of socket just thinking about it. I know. Yeah, you're right, dude. Uh, the, this is surgically repaired. It's this. This one's got to last. I'm not doing that again. Dude, who knows? Maybe you're the rookie of the year. I could be. Have you th- have you thrown since you got it worked on? Well, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I've thrown the ball with Ripken in the backyard about mm. about two months post-op. Yeah, and he kept coming back shaking his paw. Ah, too hot. Too hot, <laughs> Pop. Too hot. So, you know, I'm just throwing it a little. It's a little hot. A little hot coming out of there. It's like Rowan Gardner reincarnated. <laughs> Rowan Breaker. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's the icy hot. Rowan Brower. You put the ice in the microwave. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so... Uh, I probably haven't watched that movie in 15, 20 years. I can't wait to get back into it. Oh, man, I am... Just waiting for Walter to get there. Between that one, Sandlot, uh, Little Big League, Angels in the Outfield, I'm ready to just live really bad, nostalgic. Sandlot is the exception. The rest of them are pretty bad. They're not very good. Dude, McConaughey, McConaughey puts on a hell of a performance in Angels in the Outfield. Yeah, he does. One for the ages. Him and Danny Glover. <laughs> Crushing it. 
But uh, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt, that that cast is cast is strong. It's robust. Incredible. <laughs> it's robust. <laughs> I mean, it, what's Man, Disney? I've really, I've really derailed you here. No, that's all right, dude. This, come on. Uh, no, so any this wreck. Yeah, so um, I actually didn't know Brene Brown had a podcast. I'm realizing now that our podcast is battling against some titans out there. <laughs> well, during the pandemic, you know, we're more. Than, yeah, during the pandemic, everyone know, was like, "I got some spare time. I'm just going to throw one of these things on the podcast." Yeah, but you know, they're they're like dealing from a thousand foot view. I mean. How many times do you get to hear emotional guidance advice from dudes who had to delay their podcast to make sure their kid was in bed and the monitor was on? We're in the trenches. And in fact, I might need to give you a quick pause to go layeth the one back down. That's what I'm saying. This is the real stuff. This is the real deal. Give me a second. I'll be right back. You want to give a clap here so I can mark it? Uh, hello. Uh, yeah, yeah. Man, how's the little guy doing? He's just got a, you know, he's got a sore throat. He's breaking a fever, I think. Yeah, you think Brene? You think Brene's doing what you're doing? Doing it all, being a being a dad and a podcaster no. and no. a titan of LinkedIn. Titan of LinkedIn marketing, just crushing it, <laughs> just absolutely crushing it. No, Brene just yells at Steve, and Steve takes care of the kids. That's and right. then she talks about how she should be nicer to him, and everybody loves her for it. That's right. Everyone loves her for it. Yeah, there's some competition in the market. Just a little bit. But you know what? The people that, that, that listen, thank you. You have a lot of choices out there, and we appreciate you spending them with us. So anyway, I'll, I've, I've danced around it. It's a fantastic podcast. It's less than two hours. It's got... Tim, so I don't know how the rest of them are, but this this episode has Tim Ferriss and Dak Shepard, two titans of podcasting with very different styles. Um, and they just get right in, and they really talk about some some deep stuff. They talk about relationships. They talk about addiction. They talk about sexual abuse. They talk about you know masculinity. They really do. Um, it was very insightful. It's probably one of the few podcasts that I think I'll go back and re-listen to. You know, you they do talk about deep stuff, but the thing that strikes me about all three of those individuals is it's deep, but it's common. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. These, these are very important matters, but they're not important in the way that, like, Hey, what should we do with the tax code for exactly. to prevent billionaires from cheating? Important. It's important in the way like if you actually listen and apply the principles that they bring up to your own individual life, you will be a happier person. And and not happy is like the goal is happy and I've got I'm ear to ear every day. Right. But happy is in you will be more at peace because you are more certain that you know yourself well. Yeah. It's, it's three people that have done a lot of work to know themselves and to be acutely aware of what their needs are. So yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Well, to circle back around before all the tangent, that's why I thought that as soon as they kicked it off with Brene Brown's questions and 
I believe the question was something to the effect of what is one quote idea slogan that if everybody in the world were to adopt it, the world would be a better place. And Tim Ferriss's answer was don't believe everything you think. And it was the most succinct phrasing of detaching yourself from the fact that your your ideas, just the stuff that runs across your head is is sacred or is part of your identity. It's like it's just a thought. Not to mention it's it's the story you tell yourself about yourself. Yeah. Which is yeah. which to think about that, if you really just sit there and think about that for a second, what's the story you tell yourself about yourself? That's a gut punch. Do you want to try to answer that question? Oh no, <laughs> a- I don't we don't have enough time for that, dude. We don't have enough time for that. What, yeah, that's what you spend a hundred hours of therapy for. I know, man. Yeah, answer that question. I, I feel like I can detach myself from it at this point. I be I am acutely aware of the ticks and the f- sensations, the thoughts, but I don't know if I can name it. I don't know. I don't know mm-hmm. if I can tell the story. I don't even know if it would be productive. But what would what would your let's just steal from theirs. It wasn't copywriting. Maybe it was, but we're not making any money here. What What would be your, because she said what, like a bumper sticker that you could put and give to everybody in the world. What would your bumper sticker be? Yeah, Katie asked me the same thing. I, In the past, I've said happiness is about frequency, not intensity. And it's it's on my Instagram profile. And I think it'll get into our question of the week this week which I'll preview and we'll answer later what's one small step I can take today towards a goal that feels out of reach it's like somewhere along the lines like when you really understand that happiness is about frequency not intensity it unlocks everything about having a satisfied life Mm -hmm. and that there's trade-offs and that time is finite and that you, these things that seem like ludicrous ideas, like you can be whoever you want to be. Yep. You can achieve anything you want to achieve. It's actually not as ludicrous as a cynical person might think. Um, so that's, that's the thing I've said in the past. And I think that's really important for an individual, but it takes a lot of, like you have to think about that phrase for a while and what it really means and why it's key. But I really honestly love, so there's been several books I've, I've gone through recently. Think Again, uh, Adam Grant, Factfulness by Hans Rosling, Enlightenment Now, Steven Pinker. And they're all super insightful, and I love the way they approach their diagnosis of several different issues in the world and like what makes a happy society or a thriving society. And uh, they all have something to do with think like a scientist. How do you enter a situation without bringing your personal history, bias, and baggage into making a decision? And, you know, ultimately, the Tim Ferriss answer of don't believe everything you think is that same idea. It's like you don't need to come in with your emotional attachment. You can just let the evidence speak for itself. 
And I think that's so good for so many reasons, but, and we've talked about a number of them, right? Like, well, I'm voting Republican. Do you even like this guy? Right. Uh, or, uh, you know, like, oh, I'd, I'd love to see us raise taxes. Are you sure? Like, have you, have you thought about the way that, that money's being spent? Like, do you believe in the programs that exist? Like, the, the only advantage that I can see to bringing your own personal emotional history into the way you analyze the world and make decisions is it makes you quicker. You can, yeah. you can just make a decision. It's like, Oh, I've solved this before. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, that's the whole premise behind, you know, these, these feel good political um, news outlets. Mm-hmm. It's easy. You already know the answer. Let me just tell you why that's such a good answer. You know? So it's, Requires zero critical thought or detachment from what you already think, right? Or maybe believe. Yeah. And I think I think if you can get away from that, a lot of the problems we see that are like emergent behaviors of when people form groups. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are things like the halo effect, like the... Uh, uh, Brene Brown even talked about it on, on her podcast. Like when you start to, the bandwagon effect, right? Like yeah, yeah. the halo effect is when like the most powerful person in the group says their idea. And so people tend to start like adopting that yep. or the bandwagon effect. Like once you hear more and more people say one idea, you start to adopt their idea. Yeah. Right. And a lot of this becomes destructive to people making the best decisions because they make the decision that is um, better for group survival not group progress. Mm. So I, I think that there's something like that. Think like a scientist, uh, that, that is the ideal. And I just love the way that was said. Don't believe everything you think. Yeah. I, 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 I thought that was fantastic. Thanks for bringing that one yeah. back to the surface. I think if I were to do it, I was literally thinking about a bumper sticker and it was almost passive aggressive, but something to the effect of, um, you know, something like we're all doing our best or thanks for doing your best today or, or something like, cause I, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer. I, I, I think I'm, I used to be much more cynical about the status of the world and the n- nature of people, but I'm landing more on, I think people are all d- genuinely trying. Mm-hmm. Um, despite what we might see on, you know, news headlines. So, well, yeah. you know, I agree with that. I, I, and it is, in fact, like when people talk about spirituality, uh, you know, I, I think you can leave most of it at the door for all the things I've said. Like, I think a lot of spirituality arises from, like, forcing a belief that is not actually supported by the evidence of the world as it is. You know, it, it shortcuts to try to get everybody on board with an idea. And so I don't really have that much room left for spirituality personally, but one area of spirituality and like forcing a belief before the behavior that I love is everyone is doing the best they can. And even when somebody is failing miserably, I actually find myself helped emotionally by believing in their effort. And it helps me get to a place where I can adapt to the situation better 
by believing in them than needing to cast blame on them. Yeah. And it's been great for me. It makes me less angry. It makes me more forgiving. And what it eventually does, it takes a little while to get to this, but when you start talking nasty about yourself in your own head and you start beating yourself up and giving yourself a hard time, the voice starts to sound like a stranger because you don't talk that way about anybody. Right. And you start to recognize the way you're treating yourself and to that, that we're all the story we continuously tell ourselves. That starts to go away. Yeah. If you can just convince yourself to give to others first, that, that you really do believe in them. What's strange is if you really think about it, for me at least, when this, this self-talk turns, flips and turns a little more negative, by, for whatever reason, mine ends up actually not being a stranger's voice, but a very distinct voice. And I don't want to like go put it all out there, but it's, but it's definitely like in the same, I say it into myself in the same tone that this person would. I say it to myself in the same like way that they would say it. And it's, it's, it's bizarre because once I can disconnect that and, and recognize, well, that's not you talking. It's you talking. It's someone else talking. It's you talking on someone else's behalf. Because it's it can be very dangerous because then resentment can creep in for that person where, mm. again, you know, they're also just trying the best that they can. But, yeah, I mean, I think I think you in order to really get, have some sense of community in, in this world, you have to believe that. I mean, you know, you have to believe that someone who's struggling with like addiction, they don't want to be in that position. It's it's a sickness, it's a disease and it, and it has taken over them. What you do about it is, you know, different in every scenario, but you have to believe that that person is still trying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the recreation of shame. And I mean that in both, both definitions of the word recreation that, we're recreating shame that we have heard in the past and placing it onto somebody else and increasing the likelihood that we will also recreate that shame internally when we hit our own struggles, that this is actually the proper response to struggle is to heap on shame and the recreation of shame, that it's become entertaining to see somebody struggle and to just rip them. Yeah. Or like in the in the Twitter parlance to dunk on somebody. Mm-hmm. It's like I just want no I want no part of that life. No, uh-uh. it's, and that's what I mean by saying it goes against my spiritual beliefs. Like it may be fine, it may not be any damage. It's all in good fun. But for me personally, nah, that's messing with my my mojo, and yeah. I'm out. Yeah, it's funny as you become more and more aware of this stuff. You, you there are sensations in your body when you're doing or being asked to do or engaged in something that is against your kind of moral fiber, your belief set. And it never, it's not a good feeling, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, do we spend all this time on my recommendation? Did you have a, a hot shot recommendation this week or do you want to jump into the, the segment? I'll do a real quick recommendation, yeah. and it, it can be real short. Every, everybody who is, you know, 
a lost boy out there listening knows I'm a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yeah, we need a new name, right? Lost people. <laughs> yeah, there's there's probably there's probably some uh, weird gender norms to get into with Peter Pan and why was Wendy the only the only oh, girl only on one. the island? Yeah. Well, I guess we had uh, Tiger Lily. I don't know. It's been a while since I've read this story. Let, let me just let me just caveat that's if if you're gonna watch um, uh, vintage Disney cartoons with your kids, probably don't start with with uh, Peter Pan. What about the Peace Pipe? There's a whole lot of things in that movie that I was watching it with Everett, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to do some serious explaining on this one. They're getting loose. Yes. <laughs> Stick with Hook. It's the much better iteration anyway. The, uh, but my recommendation is the TV series Loki. So Loki, uh, based on Norse mythology, the trickster god, god of mischief, He's kind of the original bad guy that brings the Avengers together. Um, he's the original threat that they come together to stop. And then he has this long character arc through, uh, through the movies and eventually kind of comes around. You, you root for him. Like, he never becomes a good guy, but he's got enough panache. So they gave him his own series, and it's not just that it's good for these... Marvel movies or these Marvel TV shows. It's just a straight great TV show. It's a sci-fi time travel multi-universe weirdo show that's grounded by Tom Hiddleston, Owen Wilson. Hmm. Just hilarious back and forth. And it's kind of like a uh, philosophy 101 class lodged into a mainstream pop culture experience. And that's the way I like my TV. Oh, is that is 100% truth. I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, I I keep, I've kept let's my my foray into the Marvel um series watch I was I planned to watch all of them. What's the first one again? Captain America Iron Man. I skipped Iron Man because I've seen that one. Yeah, I'm not a believer in the... uh, You should watch them as they came out in theater. Not like trying to readjust for the timeline afterwards. Okay, I've done... I've tried to readjust for the timeline afterwards. And I just got as far as maybe the second one. (laughs) But, uh, but, but But I'm a fighter. And I'm gonna get through Harry. I'm, I'm gonna get through Harry Potter, and then I'll get through the Marvels. But yeah, once you've done all that, uh, particularly, like I think Loki could probably stand alone. On I was gonna own. ask, You'd can it stand some... on its own? Because I, I definitely, it's it's intriguing. Yeah, it kind of happens in its own its own little world. Um, it might help to watch the first Avengers movie, but they do some they do some exposition work to catch you up and get okay. you there. Cool. Um, <clears throat> Count me in. So, yeah, I guess maybe you'd, you'd have spoilers for like this thing happens in movie twenty four, but you know you'll live. We'll see if I get there. <laughs> I'm not too worried about that. So, uh, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And look, most people are either in or out on MCU and, you know, they'll, they'll get there. But just, it's awesome. And if it's not, if you're somebody who got into the Marvel Universe movies and you have trouble getting through the first 10, like there is a growth. Like by the time you get to the back end, like these things are really high-end storytelling. Uh, you know, they're a little clunky in, in the early days, but it comes around. So, question of the week. Uh, we've, we've already talked a little longer than we planned. Shorter podcast today for you guys. Um, Tommy and I got some off-the-air work to do on the pod. Mm-hmm. So, question is, what's one small step I can take today towards a goal that feels out of reach? Would you, you like something? Would you like to lead off on this? And I'm going to need a little bit of. I was given this some some deep thought. Where I'm landing on it, I'll just tell you why I'm struggling with it. Is I've either just wrapped up some things that I didn't think were possible, or I'm getting started on things. So maybe I'll talk about that. But if you want to lead off. Yeah, no, I think that's actually pretty decent because for me, I don't. I no longer really believe that I have out-of-reach goals, um, it, like in general, across the board. Uh, I, no aspirational I goals, even no, on nothing that's, nothing that's uh, I'm just thinking about well, your, is, your couch, no, no, to, no, no, no. couch to marathon uh, plunge you did. Yeah. Well, no, this is a great example. Katie and I are talking about running the Disney Marathon in uh, January. And, like, I've run a marathon before. I know what it takes to get there. And, like, where do I want to set that goal, right? Like, okay, let's – do I run a three-hour marathon? I believe I can do that. I don't think it feels out of reach. Now, where I'm at in life is I've got a lot of commitments, is – does a three-hour marathon mean that much to me to like start sacrificing on the other commitments? And it doesn't, right? And that's just kind of... So I think there's things where you get to know yourself and it changes your idea of what a worthy goal is, right? And I'll, I'll, I'll use like my marriage to Katie is a good example of this. There was probably a time in life where... Like, if you'd asked me, what do I want in somebody, in a wife, I don't know. I'd have fumbled around. Maybe I'd have some answers. But the truth is, I was searching for that. Like, I'm just hoping, right? And you can even dial that back to people who are like, well, I don't even know if I want to get married. Well, until you start locking in some of these massive affects in your life, it is really hard to know if a goal is out of reach. You don't... You don't have enough boundaries in your life to focus on singular things and get there. But like running the marathon, like trying to write, you know, a 200,000 word novel, I now really believe that almost everything I've ever wanted is just a matter of frequency and scheduling and 
I I don't know. I could make up something and act like that that's a goal. But they don't really exist. I really have the things I want. I have the most important relationships in my life. I have hobbies that mean the world to me. I have a good mental balance that allows me to be happy and see these people every day. And the program I'm on works for me. So I, I say all that. I, I guess it's this, um, just to actually answer the question more directly. I do believe that happiness is only real when it's shared. Uh, Alexander Supertramp. Bam. Yeah, buddy. And I want to do a better job of all these things that I feel good about in my life. How do I widen the circle of that benefit? And it starts with, like, am I in the mood to run a marathon already? I don't know that I am. I probably would have pushed it. I had other ideas. But... Katie wanted to run a marathon and I know how impactful that was for me. And if I do it with her and we're both training for it, it is going to maximize the experience and our bond and understanding of doing something hard together. And so I want to share that with her. So I'm trying to find ways for the things I already enjoy. And, you know, part of it is like when we have a guest on this podcast, part of it is, well, I love playing basketball. So like, get this Y league together. And now I'm, I'm doing the thing I love with other guys I love. Uh, and just trying to maximize that social sphere and then also leave things behind. So like there's an easy, uh, breadcrumb trail for Walter and Winnie to follow about how to establish that in their own lives. And, you know, who knows how I'll feel when I'm I'm 80, but I think if I've I've done all that, it's a full life. So. Well, I like all that. Thanks for sharing, man. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's it's hard be I think because we've set these parameters around existence and prioritizing time. I mean, I I've, I've told you before like I'm not writing a book. I'm not trying to be the best at CrossFit. I'm not you know, where, where does this podcast go? I have no idea. I'm having fun, you know, talking with you and talking with new people. I'm, I'm really happy being a husband, being a dad, being a friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for what, for what it's worth, just trying to be the best that I can. And, and of course, an employee, I like where I work, but, you know, trying to be the best that I can in those things it takes, a t- I mean, it takes work. And, um, so, so there, there's, so there's a lot of value in that. You know, I would say something that's a personal tick of mine that as I was going for a walk today, I was listening to, um, armchair expert and they had, what is her name? Esther Peril. <clears throat> She's a, uh, European psychologist therapist Mm -hmm. very very good she she has actually a game similar to um we're not really strangers called uh where should we start hey we're you know we're uh over halfway through the deck yeah (laughs) i needed it 
My new, and, new set. And it's an, it's kind of a similar premise, only it doesn't start as a question. It starts as – it's basically good for if we were all get together, like, say, just two of us or five of us, whatever, to get the inner storytelling in all of us, get get that mojo generated. So less of like, mm-hmm. a, like a reflection and more of like how do you tell a story about – a time where you lied and got away with it. Um, and then I like love that already. Yeah. And then there would be like helper cards that are, that, that would be or prompter cards that are like, it has to be something that, you know, made you feel uncomfortable or makes you feel uncomfortable now. So anyway, um, but one of the things they were, they were talking about the pandemic and how people felt, you know, um, worked through the pandemic and some some ways that change their their you know neurological wiring, and one of the things that I'm very aware of myself is I am not I am indecisive, highly indecisive, and you well know. documented on this podcast. <clears throat> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's it's a way of life for me. Like, you know, Annie's like, do we want to build bunk beds in the boys' room? Do we want to buy bunk beds in the boys' room? And I just keep kicking the can and i'm like i see the merits of both you know uh do we want to move my office to a different room and put the boys in the same room do we want to keep the office in here kick it down the road should we should we uh repaint one of the bedrooms or should we uh get the trees trimmed back so (laughs) tough call yeah so why i why i brought up the pandemic is there was almost no decisions to be made during the pandemic. You knew what you, it was Groundhog Day. You, you knew what you were going to be doing the next day. You didn't have to plan six months out for a trip you might take and who's going to take care of the kids and where you're going to stay and where the, when the flight. There was none of that. And I'm recognizing now as we come back into the real world that I got very comfortable in my not having to make decisions. Um. Mm. You know, like right now, Milo's not feeling well. Well, there's no temperature, right? He generally feels fine by mid, by like, early, you know, once he's woken up. Do we take him to school? Do we keep him home? If we take him to school, we can work. But is he going to get better? And it's like, I don't know. But during the pandemic, it was like, we're all staying home. We're all together. So one of, one of my uh, goals is to become more decisive and not just rest in, well, this is just who I am. I'm indecisive. And part of that comes with, I think the small step is little things, just little, you know, when, when I recognizing the urge that I have on small decisions to like text Annie and ask her her opinion to just do it, recognizing that feeling that comes over me, that's like almost anxiety inducing to just say, this is what we're going to go with. And this is what we're going to do. I don't know. I think that's the only way to do it. And it's just, you know, it's got to happen in baby steps. Otherwise it'll just be too much. I'm not planning a trip to Europe tomorrow. You know, I would be interested to get into this idea more with you because I, I've got to believe that indecisiveness stems from something more powerful than just, well, they're both good ideas. Yeah, there's definitely, <clears throat> yeah, you know what? What it really stems from for me, I think, is, look, man, I'm a perfectionist. 
Mm. And, you know, I mean, all through, I think, I don't, I think I got like one B from sixth grade through my college graduation. Mm -hmm. Part of that was the strive to perfection, hard work. Part of it was in college. Hey, the course doesn't make a lot of sense. You just drop it and you move on to the next one. Um, and so it's not about making, sometimes for me, it's not about making the better choice. It's about making the perfect choice. Mm-hmm. You know how it goes, man. Oh, making yeah. a decision has a high cost for me. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, no, yeah. No, Katie's very much that way. She, uh, she hasn't, I mean, I don't, I don't know if she'd agree with this, but from my perspective, she just hasn't really failed in life. Right. Very often. And uh, like when you've been walking that tightrope your entire life, like failure becomes more and more daunting. And I think I was like that for for a large portion. It's like when I talk about being nervous in middle school and high school and not knowing myself yet. Like I had a pretty rough run in my 20s when... <laughs> When you look at everything put together. But the beauty of that rough run was I failed massively on multiple fronts about who I thought I was and what I was capable of. And doing that repeatedly kind of freed me a little bit. Yeah. It's like once I put the pieces back together, it's like, well, (laughs) you know, can't get much worse. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I, I can totally, I could totally empathize with, with Katie on that. Cause it's like, you're just waiting. You're always waiting for the other shoe to drop and it just hasn't necessarily dropped yet. And so you're just white knuckling what you can control. There's a control thing around it, you know? So that's interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, man. The, uh, you know, I heard also to bring it back around to the podcast that started this podcast. I heard Brene Brown, on maybe three different occasions, say thank you for sharing. I did. <laughs> I heard that too. Yeah, I did. I was like, great work. Great work. She knows, Just, what, she's, she knows what she's about. Really the only response you need when somebody says something that's a little further out than everyday conversation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in. We're going to call it. And uh, I don't know. We... If there's one thing I'm working on, it's side-offs. <laughs> Catch you on the flip side. That, that one's not going to work. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll fine-tune that one, Rocco. We'll workshop it. You, so we'll workshop you, you, it. You've pulled out quotes from Boondock Saints and Into the Wild tonight, so I think it's time to call it a night. Yeah, well, I need to really dip into the catalog. Yeah. Here's looking at you, kid. <laughs> uh, uh, nobody I'm puts baby in the corner. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later.